Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We are talking about the NBA and we're in the NBA season. Here we go. And um, it's been a quite the, uh, interesting offseason. I have had a lot of people come up to me and say this is the most excited they have been about the start of a regular season in a while. So let's talk about it. And we are bringing on the guy who excels, I would say, at projecting the season, the machine from Seattle, Kevin Pelton. How's it going, Mr. Pelton? It's going well. Excited to uh, discuss this. And joining us from Boston is Tim Bontemps. Uh, Tim, what we're going to do here is we have uh, Pelton's computer projections. What's your official name on this, uh, Kevin? The RPM projections, since they're primarily based on the multi-year version of ESPN's Real Plus Minus that we have on the site. Let's just call and it the machine's a, predictions for the season. Let's just call it that. <laughs> well, and in a and in two paragraphs <laughs> or less, what goes into these this, the formula that spits this out? So, like I said, the the ratings for individual players are primarily based on their RPM. There's a little bit of an adjustment to that based on their box score stats, and that's particularly strong with players that change teams because sometimes you know those unique factors that make them excel or suffer in RPM in a given team don't carry over to the next one quite as strongly. And then I go through and, uh, you know, there's a formula based on games missed the last three years that projects how many games players will play. And then I go through and make a subjective guess at what rotations are going to look like based on that. Okay. So, but this is primarily analytics, right? This is what um, drives uh, Kevin Durant up a wall. This is, this is a, this is a, you're, you're, you're electing what's going into this, but this is a computer projection, right? It's There's the machine's little, projections for the season. Yeah. It's the yeah, machine's I'm, projections. I'm, the minutes, I'm, I'm not putting my thumb on the scale. That's the important <laughs> thing, I think, to note. It's okay. not my, my personal opinion, but even though the, uh, the results obviously reflect choices that I made. Okay, and so over the last few years, just real quick, like this system has projected, for example, last year I think the Raptors being um, ahead of the, the Celtics, as an example, which people may not have thought at the beginning of the season. And I think last year predicted the Lakers to miss the playoffs. Is that right or something? You know, like they that? ended up sneaky uh, into eighth, I think, in the, uh, the final version that we did. They were ninth when we ran it in the summer, but uh, obviously below where most people had them either way. Okay, so this this thing has some has some victories on its side. All right, we're going to start in the East. We're going to well, I'm going to reveal the order here, and we'll just sort of stop and pause at anything that we think is remarkable. Um, so um, Kevin's machine has the the Bucks again, uh, the number one overall seed as they were a year ago, albeit with fewer wins. Um, the first surprise to me came right here, though, at number two. You. In a conference with the 76ers, who some people are picking to win the title, you've got the Boston Celtics and their remade roster uh, as the number two, as number two projection. Uh, very slightly ahead of the of the 76ers at three. It's it's sort of neck and neck. Um, but KP, does that you know what? What are the reasons why you think uh, the, why why are the analytics projecting the Celtics to be significantly better than last year, despite Kyrie being out? So I think there's a couple of factors, you know, some that are pro Celtics, others that explain why the Sixers don't come out as well as expected. Taking the latter one first and why I probably don't believe it as strongly. One big factor I mentioned that that uh, the projections for games played for individual players are based on games missed over the previous three seasons. And that still includes Ben Simmons first year in the NBA where he didn't play at all after that uh, that, that broken bone in his foot. So he's only projected for 66 games this season. The odds are pretty good, I think, that he's going to beat that, although you know he, he still does have that injury that has a, a risk of recurrence in his background. And I think just because he's been so healthy the last two seasons, people kind of you know forget that that happened. But I, I think the Sixers will probably be better than I projected. But I do think people are underrating the Celtics a little bit. And one key reason is... You know, obviously, when you do these projections, they're based much more off of the team's performance on a per-possession basis rather than their win total. And the Celtics pretty dramatically underperformed that last year. They had a poor record in close games, you know, tended to win by blowouts when they won games and then lose by smaller amounts. And that was one reason I think that their season was seen as so much of a disappointment and so frustrating as it was, was that kind of, you know, something that 
I, I typically think associate with bad luck that doesn't tend to carry over from season to season. So if you start them out at that point that they were in terms of their point differential rather than where they were in terms of their win total, they maybe don't lose as much losing Al Horford and swapping out Kyrie for Kemba Walker. Okay, well, we have our man here who has spent the majority of the last 12 months in either Boston or Philly, and he's pretty much split the preseason between Boston and Philly. Um, Tim, in talking to you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like you are pretty high on the Sixers this year. Um, what is your viewpoint of uh, what the machine says? Well, I am extremely high on the Sixers. I think they will win the East. I, I am kind of shocked that the machine did not find a way to uh, rig his system so that Matisse Thibel's, uh impact on the Sixers didn't get them to like 67 wins uh, as a Washington Husky <laughs> supporter. Um, but uh, to get back to him in a second, having seen the Celtics this preseason, I am extraordinarily concerned about their defense. Uh, their center rotation, losing out Horford, you know, people talk so much about Kyrie Irving leaving. Kemba Walker's about as much of a like-for-like replacement as you could get. Um, their wing players look really good. Jason Tatum has had a strong preseason. Uh, Gordon Hayward looks great. People around the team think he's back to like where he was in Utah in terms of his physical um, ability on the court. He's looked confident and comfortable in a way he never did last year. So those are all positives. Then you look at the center spot. And going from Al Horford to the collection of guys that they have, Ennis Canner and Daniel Tice, Robert Williams, um, it just I just really struggle to see how they're going to stop people enough defensively to be this good. Now, they have some pieces they can maybe swing to make a trade. If they can get a center, I think they have a chance to compete with Philly and Milwaukee atop the East. Otherwise, I think they're going to score a lot of points and struggle. And I think to Kevin's point about Philly, obviously, you know, Joel Embiid, I think, three years ago also played 30 games, which would factor into that system, too. Even if you just assume he plays 60 games this year, I would imagine that's going to bump things up a decent amount. Um, and Ben Simmons is there. They have Al Horford there. Uh, Brian and I have talked about this off the pod. Uh, Matisse Thibel, who I was giving Kevin a hard time about. We've talked Washington. about it on the pod, too. Oh, yeah, you talked <laughs> about it on the pod, too. That's right. Yeah. He was, uh, I mean, I watched him the other day have four steals and two blocks in 20 minutes in a preseason game. Like, he's going to be an instant impact guy. So I think Philly is going to finish second in the conference. I think Milwaukee will win it in the regular season because uh, I think they're built to win regular season games more than Philly is. Uh, but I would have Boston farther back in this next pack of teams that we're about to talk about. Well, I want Robert Williams to have a factor for the Celtics because I think that his nickname, which is Time Lord, is a uh, fantastic nickname. Well, the Celtics um, have been trying to pump Robert Williams up for months, but it's been an up-and-down preseason for him, and frankly, they need him to be good because yeah. – their other guys are not going to be able to provide them what they need at center. And, you know, if they if they finish it where Kevin has them, it's because I think he takes a significant leap that so far, you know, it remains to be seen will be able to do. Right. He's got the most well, upside potential of those, you know, the, the positive upside of any of those guys for sure. Yeah, I think um, when you look at these teams, I think the Celtics have a better chance of doing something during the regular season to improve themselves. Um doesn't mean that they will be able to, but um, I think that's a factor. But certainly as we sit here today, I was just surprised Celtics slightly had. Okay, the team that you had picked fourth, the machine, I should say the machine has picked fourth. Um, this one caught me by surprise. Um, not the Toronto Raptors, not the Indiana Pacers, not the Brooklyn Nets. Not even the Miami Heat, who have gained some traction in the preseason. Finishing fourth, according to your projections, are the Orlando Magic. Um, Pelton, what is the components that have the machine so high on the magic? So, I mean, I think number one, it's how well they played in the second half of last season when they were, I, I think, maybe number one and number two in defensive rating over the second half of the season, uh, really surged into the playoffs uh, after a slow start in their first year under Steve Clifford. And so you bring pretty much that entire group back you add in Al Farouk Aminu, who has long excelled in terms of RPM, but a very good player for the Blazers in the regular season, even though you know, I think what most casual fans probably think of, of Aminu first is you know, the playoffs, where sometimes his lack of shooting was an issue for Portland in that setting, him and, and Maurice Harkless. Um, the, the big question mark with Orlando, I think, is going to be how their bench sets up with that addition of Aminu. And then you know, last year, when they surged in the second half, it was when... Michael Carter-Williams stepped in at backup point guard. 
Kem Birch took over as the backup center because Mo Bamba was hurt and out for the season. They've, you know, committed to Bamba being that backup at center this season, even though they re-signed Birch as a restricted free agent. And now you've got Markel Fultz with the kind of first nod at that backup point guard spot. And, you know, I think that Bamba and Fultz, those two guys, how they develop is really going to go a long ways in determining whether or not. Yeah, how, how does the computer after. even have any way of <laughs> measuring Fultz at all? I mean, he's one of the biggest oh, players. Barely. I mean, I mean, it's a pretty conservative uh, projection for him. So, you know, I don't, it, they're, they're doing this despite false rather than because of him. I put it that way. Okay. That's fair. Um, I mean, Bontemps, Fultz is one of the biggest, I mean, are we expecting him to be anything more than a bench contributor for them? I mean, um, I mean, I've, 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 I've watched the magic a couple times this preseason. I've talked to a bunch of scouts who've seen them. Uh, Markel has played pretty well. Um, he's impressed people. I think he's going to be, Pretty clearly to me, their backup guard. Um, he started to, to he's looked ex- aggressive. He's attacked the basket. He's actually taken some perimeter shots too. Um, you know, his shot still doesn't look great, but um, I do think he's going to be a contributor for them. But I, I think Kevin didn't talk about the thing that I think is the most important thing with this team is how they're going to score. Um, I watched Nick Vucevic didn't play. Uh, I watched them play the Celtics. They had eight points in eleven minutes. Uh, in the first quarter, they were down like 38 to 8, uh, to Boston. Uh, they had similar trouble scoring against Philly. Uh, during that hot streak last year, they shot the ball really well from three. They have a lot of guys, you know, including Alfaruk Aminu, um, who are iffy shooters around Vucevic. And if they shoot well, I think they can definitely be in this range and finish third or fourth in the East because they are going to play good defense and they do have a bunch of long, versatile players and they can, you know, Steve Clifford's a really good coach, but, if they can't make threes and they do struggle to score, I think they could be a team that, instead of being three or four, is in the seven, eight, or nine spot. You know, it's remarkable about the Magic is they have the seventh highest payroll in the NBA. You know, they have uh, they you know they've invested in Aaron Gordon. Uh, I guess it was summer of two thousand eighteen, and his number has come on. Um, Vucevic had um, the best year of his career last year, and he got a hundred million dollar contract. Um, and then they still have Evan Fournier that they're paying, who they signed, uh, I think, three, four years ago. They're also paying Timo um, Mozgov for another year. Well, I guess they stretched him, but <laughs> yeah, so they're uh, paying yeah, for another they three years. To avoid the luxury tax. That's right, to avoid the tax. Yeah. So this is actually a pretty expensive team. But, um, yeah, I mean, Steve Clifford, they definitely got the Clifford bounce last year. Uh, it showed on defense. They were tremendous. I think I can't remember what the date we all talked about. It was like, from February 3rd or February 7th on, they were the, like the best team in the league um, defensively. Um, okay, so you have the Raptors 5th, which, um, you know, that's fair. Uh, you have them 91% to make the playoffs. Um, I do think that they will. And uh, Pascal Siakam over the weekend, um, $130 million extension, um, pretty much had to on that one. Um, didn't give them the full five, but... Uh, Pretty healthy deal for them. Uh, I don't think that's that big of a deal. Uh, the Miami Heat, um, you have sixth. Uh, Tyler Hero has been interesting. Jimmy Butler. How does Jimmy Butler – well, I don't know if I want to spend too much time on the Heat, but Jimmy Butler I think should um, should bounce them up a little bit. Hello. No one is available to take your call. Andrew, would you say you're stylish? Yes. I tell everyone how stylish I am. Would you say you're trendy? Uh, yes. That's the number one thing I say when I'm, when I say I'm stylish. Would you say you're innovative? Uh, no. I tend to copy everyone else, but, uh, I, I aspire to be innovative. That is bull. You were, you're very fashion forward. And I, I see nobody in LA who dresses like you. You do some I, things with clothing so that I've never seen before. Oh, oh well, my. I'm giving you, I'm giving you the innovative title. And that, if you're stylish, trendy, and innovative, what you need on your wrist to complement that overall aura is a Tissot watch. They're a Swiss watch brand that has high-quality watches at attractive prices, and they're a huge backer of the NBA. They love the NBA. So if you love the NBA, you should be wearing Tissot because that's what all these players wear. They bring performance and style to the game by offering painstakingly accurate timekeeping and those stylish, authentic watches. Each of Tissot's timepieces delivers quality performance and traditional luxury. Tissot prides itself on precision and style of its classic sport contemporary collections while committing to make the excellence accessible to everyone. As I mentioned, Tissot is the exclusive and official watch of the NBA. 
You can shop their latest timepieces at us.tissoshop.com and of course at Jewelry Stories Nationwide. Follow hashtag ThisIsYourTime and Tissot.us on Facebook and Instagram for more information about their great brands. Hello, no one is available to take your call. The team I want to talk about, though, is the Indiana Pacers. Uh, you have them at 7, really just barely above 500 according to your projections. Uh, this is a... One of the more fascinating teams, um, because we don't know when Old Depot's coming back. I feel like they're, I think, I feel like they have pretty good upside. Uh, Bontemps pretty strongly disagrees with me. He's expecting, well, I won't put words in his mouth. Um, Paul, I do strongly disagree the, with you, though. What is, the, um, you know, we've already got some drama in Indy because, uh, Demodis Sabonis, um, it is spilled out in a report in The Athletic that the Pacers are thinking about trading him. Uh, they have not been able to agree on a contract extension. He had some relatively unsettling words in an interview over the weekend. Pelton is a little bit lower than I would have the Pacers, although I can't project Oladipo, but what does the computer say? Well, I'm curious first. I mean, how realistic do you think a Sabonis trade is? Is that something they would want to do so that some other team could extend him before the deadline? Well, the the difficult thing is the the deadline is very soon. It's in the next it's, one. I mean, I don't know when this is going to... Yes, today as we release That's this. Midnight, midnight, Monday night. Um, the problem is he makes $3.5 million. And we can argue about what his his value is in an extension, um, because he's really, when you look at him as a sixth man, he's very, very valuable. But how much do you pay a valuable sixth man who doesn't do anything extraordinarily well? He does a lot of things very well. He doesn't do anything extraordinary well. What, what's his value? And it's just, it's hard. And, and, and But if you're going to trade him, you've got to get back a player who you think is going to be a, you know, a high-value uh, role player. And it's hard to do that for $3.5 So I just think it's very difficult. I mean, not only that, if you're going to, trade and extend them, the, those talks have to be going along side by side, and that gets right. messy. So I think it's unlikely he'll get traded. All right, well, let's talk about them in the context of him being there uh, under that assumption. And you know, I think the, the, the thing that stands out is, you know, particularly the guys that they brought in in the front court don't necessarily project as well by RPM, uh, especially after that adjustment for changing teams is, you know, the guys that they lost in terms of Bogdan Bogdanovich or Bogdan Bogdanovich, I should say, and uh, Thaddeus Young, you know, TJ Warren, we'll see if being in a better situation than Phoenix uh, helps boost his projection. We've seen guys who were not good defenders elsewhere come into Indiana and under, you know, Nate McMillan and Dan Burke, their, their defensive coordinator of sorts, you know, achieve more defensive success. Bogdanovich being a great example of that. He was a dreadful defender in Brooklyn and, and then also in Washington. He was briefly there. And then now all of a sudden he's being talked about as a quality wing defender after his time in Indiana. Uh, so if Warren can make that si- same kind of leap, if Justin Holiday, you know, shoots as well as he did last season when he was a nice role player in Chicago and Memphis, then I think they can outperform this, ex- this projection. But, uh, you know, just generally, they lost a lot of core pieces to this team that was That's still true. competitive after Victor Oladipo's injury, but also around a 500 team, really. And it really was a team that, after a solid couple of weeks after Victor got hurt, really took a nosedive. And in the playoffs, might have been the worst offensive team I've ever seen. Uh, okay, the, but the that was after the, Oladipo got hurt. I mean, I agree correct. if Oladipo doesn't come back and be an all-star contributor, they're not going to be as good. But if he does, I think that they're going to be a... Well, there's a lot of ifs. Victor, Victor yeah. Oladipo's health is an if. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon as a, a main uh, scoring option on the perimeter is an if. How is he going to handle that? That's not a role he's ever played before. Uh, they lost their leading scorer last year, Boyan Bogdanovich. They replaced him with... Jeremy Lamb and TJ Warren, who, as KP said, like, we'll see what those guys do there. TJ Warren also shot very well for about six weeks from three last year. That was an outlier from the rest of his prior career. He was so, hurt for most of, for much of last season as well. But when he, but when he did play, he shot the ball really well. Now, if he, if he carries that over to Indiana, that will look really good. If he reverts back to what he did before, it will not. And this is a team that, you know, like KP said, Last year, they were a top-five defense. I think Thaddeus Young was a huge part of that. They then replace him with Sabonis. I don't think Sabonis and Turner can fit well together on the court. Um, so then if you can only play them together in limited minutes, then who are you playing next to them at the four? I, they just have a lot of stuff to 
well, I think I think he's starting the season as a starting small forward. Um, so, I mean, look, if Victor comes back early and slots in and is great again and, and like all these other ifs kind of fall into place, they can move a lot higher up. I just think that the amount of questions they have um, and and frankly, I just think the offensive struggles they're going to have a lot of. What about time Goga? How dare you not? Upside. How dare you rule out Goga? Everybody <laughs> well, in Indiana thinks Goga is going to win rookie. Of the year. A lot of people are out of league like Goga quite a bit too. Um, yeah, I mean, people think he's good, and and look, from the moment he got drafted, it immediately shone a spotlight on this Demonis Sabonis Miles Turner pairing, and people wondering, all right, now they drafted another big. Yeah, he probably should have gone higher, and so they took the best player available, maybe, but still. If you draft another big in the first round, when you have Demonis Sabonis and Miles Turner as two of your young core pieces, it makes you wonder what the future is for those guys. And now we have what's going on with Sabonis. This is going to be a story because I'm with you. I think that the idea of him getting traded by tomorrow or by Monday night is really hard um, to make that happen. So, you know, assuming he is on the team after this extension deadline, you know, that's a story that's you know really not going to go away all season. So uh, we've mentioned seven teams. We have not mentioned the Nets yet. You do have the Nets eighth, Pelton. Um, 65% chance of making the playoffs, which is significantly higher than the team that's in ninth, which we'll talk about in a second. But um, I am not super high on the Nets. And I know that it's it's hard for people to wrap their head around it because you say, wait a minute, you signed one MVP and another um, one of the great guards in the league. How could you not be excited about it? I just don't know what Durant's going to be. A year from now, and we'll talk about that a year from now. Um, I just think that they had a wonderful teamwork and a wonderful balance, and I think that Kyrie is going to tip the apple cart there. I expect them to be a playoff team. Uh, I am not surprised to see the computer put them at eighth. Um, I do think this will be a step forward year for Karis Levert, and how Levert and Kyrie contribute together will be maybe the biggest and most important thing of the season. Um, why does the computer – because they finished – what, what, what seed were they last year? They were they were six six last year. So this this is projecting them to drop two seeds, which is you know obviously they knew. I don't th- I, I I think this has got to rule out Durant for the year. Um, yes. But uh, how does how does this uh, how does this compute, Kevin? I mean, part of it is that you know last year in the East, the the difference between sixth and eighth was uh, you know one game between those three spots. So. You know, it's not really a dramatic change for them. I mean, I think part of it is, you know, this is a team that improved so much last year that any time you take that kind of leap forward, there's going to be a little bit of a regression to the mean. You hope to offset that with the offseason moves they made. But I, I think this year, Kyrie for D'Angelo Russell, it may not be as big of an upgrade as it looks like on paper or as it could be, you know, I think long term once Kyrie is more, you know, integrated into the Brooklyn system and, you know, has Kevin Durant as a side. But Next year, I think they, you know, they, for this year, they still look like pretty similar team, you know, given the the changes that they've made. I I think to echo your point before, Brian, to me, whether this projection is right or not comes down to Karis LeVert. Um, a lot of people around the league are really high on him. He looked like he was going to be the Nets All Star before he got hurt last year. If he comes back and is that level player again, the Nets have a chance to be pretty good. Um, you know, and that that could probably overcome some of the other stuff you talked about with the chemistry and different things. But if he isn't quite that same player again, they are probably going to be in this mix trying to fight for a playoff spot. All right, breaking the Pistons fans' hearts, you have them ninth at forty nine percent to make the playoffs. Not what they have in mind. They're hoping for a step forward this year. They made some, you know, the additions that they made in the offseason. They tried to make some some sort of role player additions. Um, they have the Bulls tenth. I think the Bulls are sneaky. Um, Going to depend, I think, uh, a lot on Wendell Carter, whether he's healthy or not. Uh, I am high on Tomas Sadoransky. I thought he looked great in China, although that's FIBA. Uh, but he did win the starting job. Um, and Kobe White had some um, some moments in the preseason. We'll see what he does as a rookie guard. Sometimes you see those guys go up and down. All right, here's the one that's a surprise here. You have the Atlanta Hawks. With just a three percent playoff projection in twelfth, behind the Washington Wizards, who I think are in a tank zone, um, is this an anomaly because of John Wall? How, how do you how does he how do you figure? I really low on the. I, I think the Hawks are going to be an intriguing team. Why so? Why is the machine so low on the Hawks? I, I think that we're a year ahead on the Hawks here. I mean. 
you can sometimes be wrong about this and teams come together more quickly than you expect, but you know, they they lost a few veteran pieces that were a part of their the success that they had in the second half last season. Dwayne Dedman probably knows most notably out of that group. Uh, the guys they added in some of these salary dump trades, if they play Evan Turner a lot, I think that's going to uh, hurt their second unit if he's there. You know, they're, they're looking at him as a backup point guard. Uh, and then just the question is, how do they stop anyone with this group? I mean, they project 28th in defensive that's, that's rating. Fair. So, you know, even though they have a much more competitive offense, you know, that's still not a team that's ready, I think, to contend. I, I, like I said, I think they're probably a year away. I'm with Kevin a thousand percent. If, you I, think talking, they're a 12th place team? I listen. I think they'll be ahead of the Wizards just because I saw the Wizards in person on Friday night, and they are going to be very terrible. Though Bradley Beal could average thirty something points a game and be, you know, remain a very awesome player. Um, but I, I don't see the Hawks making a big leap forward this year. I think their defense is going to be really, really bad. To Kevin's point, I mean they lost Dwayne Dedman, who was a really nice player for them last year, good defensive player. And, you know, Alex Len can, can, is going to be playing there. He's not the same level defensive player. You go up and down the roster, you're going to be giving a lot of minutes to a lot of really young guys. And, you know, look, would it shock me if a year from now they have a chance to make a big jump up, kind of like what, say, the Thunder did in Kevin Durant's third season um, after, you know, he and Russell Westbrook played a ton of minutes the year before? Like, that wouldn't shock me. But I think this year, you know, if you talk to people around the league, um, a lot of the internal models from teams have the, the Hawks being either at the same place as they were last year or worse, uh, you know, which is right in line with, with what the machine has got uh, projected for us here. All right, so you have Hornets 13th and Cavs and Knicks are pretty much in a dead heat for 14-15. Uh, Knicks think they're going to be better. We'll see. I think their roster is kind of a mess. Those bottom four teams uh, in the East are going to be so bad. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I, you know, there's going to be some, you know, there's going to be some teams that feast on those teams. Hello, no one is available to take your call. All right, basketball season is starting, and Andrew, you think you're pretty smart, right? Uh, yeah, I think I'm when, very when smart. When it comes to basketball, at least. Oh, very smart. Okay. <laughs> um, I think you should have put your money where your mouth is, and put your basketball knowledge to the test with one day fantasy basketball at DraftKings. To tip off the season, DraftKings has over 15 million bucks in prizes just on the first week. I gotta, I, I just can't even believe that. 15 million bucks in the first week. So you, what you do is you draft your lineup and you can feel the action like never before. Every shot, rebound, and assist means more when your DraftKings lineup is on the line. 15 million. Holy Moses. It's simple. Just draft your lineup and stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. See if you can do better than Andrew. He's probably better at fantasy than me. I, I'm not going to challenge him on that. Nothing adds that intensity of watching the game quite like having a shot at over 15 million in prizes. So how do you do it? You get the DraftKings app, or of course you can go to DraftKings.com now and use our code HOOP, H-O-O-P, and you can play free today with your first deposit. That's code HOOP to play for free with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Hello, no one is available to take your call. All right, so let's go over to the West now. Uh, you have the Houston Rockets number one and projecting them to have the most wins in the league, um, Kevin, ahead of the um, ahead even of the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, the computers seem to really like the Rockets. Um, is it just because is it just because of the the statistical upgrade from Westbrook to Chris Paul? I mean, the computers really like the Rockets out there. Um, why? I mean, I think that, first off, this is a team that's built to compile regular season wins. You know, Harden has been the best regular season player in the league over the last five years here. I I, I think that's hard to dispute, given the number of... He had 44, by the way, in a preseason game um, against the Heat on Friday night. He apparently built to dominate the the preseason, in addition to the regular season. By the way, Kendrick Nunn in that game, um, who's a shooting guard, who's playing ahead of... Deion Waiters, which is one of the reasons why Deion Waiters got suspended. Um, Kendrick Nunn scored 40 for the Heat in that game. That was quite the box score. Yeah, it was 144 to 133. I did not see any of the game, but one 
one thinks it must have been a hell of a uh, a hell of a, a, a style of game. <laughs> Um, 144 to 133 uh, in Miami. But I'm sorry to interrupt you, Kevin. Go ahead. Yeah, so I, I don't think necessarily in terms of a per-minute upgrade, Westbrook, is that going to be necessarily that huge of an upgrade on Chris Paul? You know, just when you factor in that penalty for changing teams and being in a different situation, which seems to apply given, you know, how different his role is going to be in Houston than it was in Oklahoma City. But the sheer fact that he has been as durable generally throughout his career as he has, and Chris Paul is prone to injury as he has, you know, Westbrook's going to be out there more. You're going to have fewer minutes with, you know, neither Westbrook nor, you know, or nor Harden, not neither of the two all-star guards out there than you had last year. And all of that, I think, points to this being a really good regular season team. Although there is some depth concern with Gerald Green now potentially out for the season. And you've got the fact that they're probably not going to play Nene more than nine games so that they can avoid you know, uh, hitting him getting to his bonus that would take them into his luxury tax. So they've kind of got a 13-man roster now. Yeah, that that is true. But I, I'm with you, Kevin. Uh, the Rockets are just completely built to dominate in the regular season. And I, I have a lot of concerns about them come the playoffs like they've had the last few years. But if you're just looking at regular season projections and trying to see who's going to win the most games, I, I thought for a while the Rockets are going to win the most games in the West for just that reason, that they're going to put their foot down and crank out wins. And, you know, they're probably going to be pushing for Harden to win MVP again. And they'll be, you know, right there atop the West, and then we'll see if they can overcome the, the, the foibles they've had in the playoffs. I'm not sure. Uh, Westbrook's efficiency has dropped three straight years. Uh, I think it's, I think there's a, I think there's a warning there. We'll see, but I don't, I don't know. Maybe he'll shoot 45% on corner threes and I'll end up. Well, well also the fact that he's going to on free throws. Right. I mean that, and, and I think, you know, to Kevin's point, he is, he is going to be out there a lot more than Chris was. So even if the per game numbers are a little worse, I, I would say cumulatively over 82 games, the fact that you're going to probably have Russ available for a lot more games, um, you know, at least in the regular season, you know, Russ's issues could come to come to bear in the playoffs. Again, like another reason to, to wonder about them in the playoffs. I just think of the regular season, they're built to churn out a lot of regular season wins. By the way, statistical anomalies to watch this year. Let's watch what happens to Stephen Adams' rebounds. Yeah. Because Adams had to hand off so many rebounds, especially at every missed free throw to Westbrook. And... Um, Let's see what happens to the rebound, to Westbrook's rebounding numbers when James Harden's trying to get the triple doubles himself this time around. Um, all right, so you have the Nuggets number two, um, pretty much in a dead heat. Well, maybe a little bit behind. I think the Nuggets are going to rack up a ton of wins. I think they may have the most. Another team built to win in the regular season. And they are just a great home team. I mean, they've been a great home team for decades when they're good. Right. Um, so you have the Clippers third. Um, and it's hard to project the Clippers because of the Paul George injury, and also you don't know how many games that uh, Kawhi is going to play. That said, I think they have arguably the best bench in the league, and so that alone to them, I think they're going to challenge for best record in the West just because of their depth, even if their stars miss some games. Kevin, but you have the I- Clippers third. I think this is going to be, you know, we've talked about the last two teams being built to win in the regular season. Despite that depth that you talked about, I still think the Clippers are going to be so much better in the playoffs when you know that Kawhi and Paul George are going to be out there every night. You didn't mention the fact that, you know, I don't, I don't think you mentioned that PG is going to at least miss the first 10 games of the season, it sounds like now, after those shoulder surgeries. So all of that seems to, to point towards a team that, you know, if they if they just get home court advantage in the first round, I think they're probably going to be comfortable with that going into the playoffs. Uh, you know, especially knowing that those two that they are much more built for the postseason than the teams that would be ahead of them in that scenario. I I agree. I, I thought when we did our season preview show a few weeks ago, my bold prediction was that the Clippers and Lakers would finish outside the top three in part uh, in the regular season in the West. And part of that was because I think they're going to be more focused on the playoffs than some of these other teams that are going to be racking up regular season wins, but. KP, I'm curious because you were at this game in Vancouver. I was watching the Mavs Clippers game the other day, and I know Paul George didn't play, and I don't think Lou Williams played, but I thought it was kind of noteworthy that the Clippers didn't really have a lot of guys that could put the ball on the floor and make a play on offense. Um, now I know that's going to change when they're healthy, when 
they have Paul and Kawhi, obviously, out there. But do you think that could be kind of an issue for them, um, especially early on in the year, where they they maybe are going to struggle to score more than people might automatically think? I'm not too worried about it. I I mean, I think, you know, Doc Rivers, we, what we probably haven't talked about is Doc Rivers has a lot of options for the end of how he's going to close out games. But also Doc Rivers has a lot of options for how he's going to close out games. And it's going to be right. interesting to see how he works through that because, you know, are you going to need Lou Williams' shot creation in those settings? Or is his, are his defensive shortcomings going to be too much of a problem to put him out there? I mean, that's the, the, the nice thing is, again, they have you know, probably nine or ten players who you'd feel comfortable throwing out there at the end of a close game. But, you know, that's going to potentially lead to some frustration, and maybe you make the wrong choice at nights because the, each of those guys, while they have their great strengths, there are also some sh- shortcomings that they bring to the table as well. All right, so you have the Utah Jazz fourth. Um, do we care that the Jazz uh, had the worst defense of any team in the preseason? Uh, gave up 119 great. points I, a game. I was talking. I talked 5. to a couple. I think they're 0 and 5. I talked to a couple people who saw them play in the preseason, and there were some concerns from them, uh, scouts that watched them about their lack of size across the board. Um, it's funny that you know you think about that with Utah when they have you know Rudy Gobert, who's enormous at center, but they are pretty much small at every position now, and you know. Basically, the scouts that I talked to thought that they're going to eventually kind of figure out ways to, to kind of shift what they do and funnel things more towards Gobert, and they'll be fine. Um, you know, Quinn Snyder's a great coach, and Gobert's probably the you know best defensive player in the league in that respect. But um, it is something that, that other scouts are noticing, and I think they're curious to see how they um, how they handle it here once the season gets going. All right, so there, we haven't mentioned the Lakers yet. So uh, KP... The machine has the Lakers fifth. A little bit of separation between them and the Jazz too. And um, as the Lakers, uh, as a playoff uh, team, which you know is not something that should be moved past, they have not made it in six years. Um, I am somewhat bullish on the Lakers as a, as a team. I'm not as bullish on them as a championship contender. I think they're going to be a very good team. I think they're offensively going to. You know, assuming health for LeBron and uh, Anthony Davis, I think they're going to be terrific offensively. I think they will churn out wins. I'm not sure that they can win three playoff series to reach the finals, but uh, you have the Lakers fifth. Um, what does the computer say there? See, that's interesting. You think they're going to be a better regular season team than a playoff team? Because I think completely the opposite. Well, I shouldn't say that. I think you have a LeBron team is dangerous in the playoffs, but... I don't see them as a. I am in. I am not in agreement with people who think that they are a legitimate championship team. I do not think they are there yet. I think they are a piece and a half or so away. Uh, doesn't mean that they wouldn't pull off an upset in the playoffs. But <laughs> according to this projection, any playoff series win would be an upset because they would be the lower seed in every round. Yeah, I mean, despite that, I still, you know, my personal prediction is that they'll be in the conference finals against the Clippers, that we'll see the, the hallway series between those two teams, even though they're, they're third and fifth in the regular season projections. I mean, just their their lack of depth is such an issue, and when you can ramp up the minutes for AD and LeBron in the playoffs, I think that's where they're going to clearly be at their best. Uh, they have been really impressive in the preseason. It's tough to know how much to take from that because they basically exclusively in the U.S. Not basically. They've exclusively in the U.S. played games against the Warriors who have looked uh, dreadful, I, I might say, in the preseason. So and that, they played those two games in China, which I don't even know how you can evaluate what was going on there. Kyrie didn't play right. in either of those games, essentially. So. But they, the chemistry with the first unit in particular seems like it's there in a way that I probably didn't expect it to be this early in, in their their time together. I believe they will they will win fifty plus, assuming general health. I believe they're winning more than fifty, and I believe they're going to be a first round um, home court team. I do not think the Lakers will win fifty games, and I think that they have three players that I would trust in a playoff series on their team currently: and Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Danny Green. And as good as AD and LeBron are, and they're great. It's going to be very hard for them over the course of the season to win that many games when they have that many weak links around them and they have that many holes to fill. Um, you know, we also are not taking into account, you know, I also think you have to take into account to some degree that, you know, the Lakers, I would think, are going to manage their minutes to some 
respect, right? Um, I, I don't think they're going to both play 80 games. Um, and if either one of them has an injury, they could be in big trouble. So, you know, I, I still think they have a lot of issues. And even, you know, the one guy who would help them, uh, despite some of the other issues he has, is Kyle Kuzma. And, I, I mean, I don't really know what the situation with him is, but, you know, the fact that he's not there means that if one of those guys sits, their offense is going to be kind of compromised too. So I think they he's have been some questions. Contact. I don't think he'll be out in a long time, but we have no idea what the health is going to be like January, February. But um, I think in the postseason they're going to struggle on defense. Well, there's no question about that, uh, because, Brian. Yeah. I just before you move on from the Lakers, I just want to make sure that everyone heard. You are predicting the Lakers will win more than fifty games. That's and right. Good job, no. good job, Andrew <laughs> Hahn. That was two predictions from Brian Winors. I did more than fifty wins for the Lakers, and they're going to host a home I, court playoff series. I think Brian Winors they, made two if predictions. Two. If they are generally healthy, they can win fifty games and host. You said you said the Lakers are going to win over fifty games, and they're going to host a playoff series. So you've well, made is, two is Anthony Davis going to play forty-eight games, or is Anthony yeah, Davis going to play sixty-two we'll games? Give you that caveat, Brian. We're not going to call you on it if those guys are hurt and they. they hey, play. listen. It's the fact is, Brian. Brian made a prediction. That's all. Good job, Han. Yeah, to point that out. Excited. It's good, yeah, and that's one of the reasons I don't like Andrew. Um, <laughs> the, you know, the way that they want to play defensively, real quick. They, Frank Vogel, at least this is what he's talking like now, and, you know, people, what coaches say in October tends to change, but he wants to play old-school defensive basketball, which is he wants a regular center out there most of the game, and he they do not want to switch on the perimeter. They want to funnel the... Uh, Funnel the the the, uh, the drivers into the center just like he did in Indiana with Roy Hibbert, and he thinks with Dwight Howard and Javale McGee as great shot blockers that he can defend the front of the rim. Do that, or does Anthony Davis and LeBron want to play small forward and power forward, so they need a center out there? Well, that's <laughs> or both. Also true. I mean, I you know that's the thing when you play defense that way in the current NBA, it puts a huge amount of pressure on your forwards to cover a lot of ground because they have to, I don't want to give them too much X and O's, but they have to back up the center, help the helper as it's known. And they're going to have to get their butts back out to the perimeter because you know that uh, the floor will be stretched to the corners. And that's going to require a level of aggression from LeBron that has not been there. And I don't think Kuzma has shown it much in his career either. Hello. No one is available to take your call. Okay, look, talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, people just brush it off and they blame themselves and make up excuses or avoid it altogether. And that's not what you should be doing. It's something that you should deal with. And that's why Roman can help you. Because with Roman, they make it easy to talk about. They have a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, and it's safe, simple, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan, and if you need some medication, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash hoop and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with the doctor and just get it taken care of. GetRoman.com slash hoop and you get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's Roman.com slash hoop. Hello, no one is available to take your call. All right, you have the Warriors sixth. Now, I was lukewarm on the Warriors to start the season. I I sort of, I sort of thought all avenues were open. We'll see what happens when Clay gets back. Let's see what happens with Russell. I mean, maybe he can add some firepower. Watching the Warriors in the preseason, alarm bells were going off everywhere. And guess who was ringing them? Steve Kerr. He constantly talked about how disappointed he was in their defense. And <laughs> um, Tim Bontemps, their, 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 their new starting small forward replacing Kevin Durant is? Glenn Robinson III. Wow. No Not offense good. to Glenn Robinson, but that is a come down. Uh, Pelton? I'm not feeling so great about the Warriors at sixth. 
the computer says so, and by quite a bit. The computer projects 80% chance to make the playoffs. Um, I don't know about this one, man. I'm a worried yeah, about the I, Warriors. Tim's got me concerned, too. We were texting about this on Thursday night while I was at that uh, Clippers-Mavericks game that he mentioned. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, basically, there were, I feel like there were two schools of thoughts coming into preseason on the Warriors. One that, you know, just the the issues elsewhere on the roster were such a problem that it was going to doom them from, you know, having any chance at home court in the first round uh, and make it very difficult for them even when Clay Thompson does get back and even if they can maybe add a buyout player at the deadline. And the other school of thought was basically, look, they can do enough during this regular season. They can limp along. They get Clay back. They add midseason, and then they're all of a sudden going to get back to the finals again, which, uh, you know, our colleague Kirk Goldsberry made uh, that case in the television, the preseason television uh, NBA rank special that we did. So, you know, I think, I, I feel like I was generally in between those two kind of extremes on the Warriors, and now I'm leaning more towards Tim's side because, you know, just this was maybe unfair because it's two guys who aren't going to play necessarily very much, but watching the opening preseason game against the Lakers and watching Alfonso McKinney, who's now no longer on the roster, and Omari Spellman try to defend a pick-and-roll involving Anthony Davis, it was like, oh boy, this is this might be a long season. Well, I have I'm some numbers is, about they, the Warriors. Willie Cauley-Stein and um, Kevin right. Looney are Well, out, okay. So, I mean, well, except here's the thing. Willie Cauley-Stein is not able to put any pressure on his foot uh, last I saw until November. Seems like a seems like a problem. Seems like a problem. So we have some numbers here for the Warriors. The Warriors have six players on their roster that are twenty two and under. They have several rookies on their team. They have zero available roster spots until March, uh, because they are hard cap because of the D'Angelo Russell trade. They have, I would say, probably five legitimate NBA rotation players on their team. And then if you say Glenn Robinson and Alec mm-hmm. Burks, maybe you get to seven. Um, but those are two guys that also have never been healthy the last several years. So, you know, look, if Steph Curry goes out and averages 40 points a game, then maybe he can drag the Warriors to the playoffs in a way like Russell Westbrook did a couple of years ago when he had all the triple doubles for the first time and they won 47 games and a bunch of late game heroics from Russ, right? Like that path does exist, but this team has so many massive, structural flaws and I just think it's going to be extraordinarily difficult for them to actually be good enough to live up to the expectations that some people have for them and the other thing that we haven't even talked about here they're going to lose their home court advantage I think too I think their home court advantage is going to going to dissipate to a certain extent the home home court advantage will probably be not as good at the chase center and the other thing to factor in here is what has made Draymond Green such a special unique defensive player in the NBA it's the fact that he is able to play at center and run this switching defense with a lot of smart players on the court. The Two of the Warriors' five proven NBA rotation players are Kevon Looney and Willie Cauley-Stein, who are centers. So if they have their best players on the court, Draymond has to play power forward, and they can't switch nearly as much because they've got D'Angelo Russell and Steph Curry as their guards. So... One of the things that makes Draymond who he is is now not available to them on top of all the other issues they have. So, I look, Steph is incredible, and if he stays healthy, he could he could maybe carry them places, but they just have, to me, just an insane number of flaws on this roster. Well, um, definitely, definitely something to be watching for sure. Uh, I think Steph is going to still score – a ton of points, a ton of points. I think he led the uh, NBA in scoring in the preseason. I uh, didn't even play that many minutes. He's right, got to have Ma- to lead the league in scoring if they're going to be good. You have the Mavericks at seven. That's going to be good news here, uh, Pelton, for uh, Mavericks fans who want to be back in the playoffs. This, I guess, projects strongly for the Doncic uh, uh, Porzingis um, duo that's going to be there. Is that what you feel? I mean, they're point guard situation is a little tenuous but um, KP just before you start I'm curious how many games did you project KP or the other KP Christas Porzingis to play for the Mavs uh, let me double check this I believe it was 51 games this is projected 51 games 1530 minutes yeah it's, those are both pretty low um, so he looked, I, I he looked incredible the other night the game you were at 
Miles yeah, and I don't want to read too much into that, but he looked healthy. And that was like, if I wasn't going to pick the Mavericks to make the playoffs, it was going to be because, okay, well, I'm concerned whether he's actually, you know, can, can contribute almost anything for them this season. Because you know, this is a team that, we talked about this with Boston earlier, where they're starting at kind of a higher point than you might think if you look based on their record. Last year, the Mavericks had the point differential of a 38-win team and won 33 games, which was something similar to what they had the year before that helped them get that Don- the pick that they traded up to to get Doncic. It's kind of fascinating because before that, the Mavericks had a very long track record of always outperforming their point differential. And I don't know that you can actually control it this way, but it was mighty convenient to them for them that it flipped when they finally got into the lottery and didn't need those extra wins and instead wanted to uh, you know, be competitive while losing close games. So, Gee, I wonder how that happened. It, it'll be interesting to see what happens this year. I don't know that that's actually something you can th- control that specifically, but if you're starting with a 38-win team, adding Porzingis with any degree of health. And then I think they have upgraded the rotation, their depth. DeLon Wright, I'm a big fan of. He rates well in RPM. Seth Curry, you know, guys like that. Boban, who will be an interesting piece for them. They were playing him and KP together against the Clippers, which turns out not to be the biggest front court in NBA history. We found some, uh, some Ralph Sampson minute bull minutes back in the late 80s, but uh, is still... Just uh, an incredible uh, matchup nightmare for a lot of teams with the fact that Porzingis can play out on the perimeter in a, in a duo of 7-3 guys. So I really am high on the Mavericks. So we've listed seven teams, and we have not mentioned the Spurs or the Blazers yet. Spurs have 22 consecutive seasons in the playoffs, which is the longest streak, in, I believe, tied for the longest streak in NBA history. By the way, you guys want to take a guess who's got the second longest playoff streak in the NBA right now? So the Spurs are first with 22. You guys want to just take a guess? Don't look it up. Just take a guess. Um, it's seven. That's the that'll. I'll just I'll give that to you. I would say it's the Warriors. Is it Portland? Pelton. Uh, both could. Well, uh, Bontemps is correct. It's the Warriors tied with the Rockets. Both the seven. Yeah, and, that was um, the other team I was going to guess. Second, second longest streak, uh, Blazers and Raptors, both at six. So um, just sort of tells you there. Computer says that streak is coming to an end. In fact, well, Peter has the Spurs with a, just a 26% chance of making the playoffs, 11th best in the West. But you have the Blazers in eighth uh, after back-to-back seasons as the number two seed. Um, Blazers... Had a pretty active summer. Resigned um, their two stars, CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard, to extensions. That was good. Um, totally retrofitted, sort of their second line. Swapped, got picked up. Bazemore signed Mario Hazonia. Lost Aminu. Uh, traded uh, Mo Harkless. Uh, traded Myers Leonard. Um, picked up uh, Scala Bassier. Uh, resigned Rodney Hood. Um, Picked up Anthony Tolliver. There's uh, some excitement there. Obviously, the Hassan Whiteside. Um, there's some excitement there about Anthony Simons, who has sort of been a quiet develop, developing uh, guard. Um, Pelton, I was surprised to see the Blazers here at eight. They, they were they they really disappointed me in the conference finals last year. But you know they bring back their their star players, and you've got them sliding quite a bit. And even you know, frankly. Less than 50-50 to make the playoffs, according to the computer. So the other name you didn't mention is Yusuf Nurkic, who is not technically a loss. He's on the roster and will come back at some point this season. But, you know, functionally, they're not going to have him, it doesn't sound like, until at at least the All-Star break. They're not putting a timetable on it. Uh, You know, I'm expecting him at some point February or March and not to be a big factor for them at all this season. So that puts a, a huge amount of pressure on Hassan Whiteside, a guy that the Heat really were happy to get rid of. This offseason. He's always handled pressure well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's in a contract year. It's going to be interesting. There's been a lot of talk about the leadership of Damian Lillard and McCollum and, you know, how that's going to get the best out of Hassan Whiteside. But that's that's the optimistic view. And the pessimistic view is, look, right now, Pau Gasol is not healthy to start the season. Zach Collins needs to start at power forward because of the fact that they lost Aminu and Harkless. They need Hassan Whiteside to be really good for them if they're going to be successful. It's it's a nice fit. I think the system sets up well. But again, you're asking him to do more than he's done in recent years. You're asking Zach Collins to take a big step forward after a nice postseason as the starting power forward. Simons uh, uh, also has to take a big step forward. He's going to be the leading offensive guy off the bench. 
All of those things might happen, and they have happened often in the past. Portland has tended to outperform their projections. Last year, they were uh, you know right on the fringes of the playoffs in these RPM projections as well. And and as you mentioned, ended up third and with home court kinda, advantage on route to the conference finals. So you know they're going to have kind of on again. brand bond temps for the uh, Blazers to be to be underdogs. It is, it is it is, but the big difference to me between this year's team and last year's team is last year they had Mo Harkless and Alfaru Kaminu on the wings to play at the three and the four in that system with Yusuf Nurkic, who had the best year of his career. And to KP's point, really relying on Hassan Whiteside is always an interesting endeavor. We'll see how that goes. And the Blazers basically have no power forwards or small forwards on the roster. I mean, they're trying to start Ken Bazemore at the three. He's really a two. They're starting. Well, Hood, Zach I think, is start there. Well, that's right. Rodney Hood is going to start the three, but he, I would say he's probably more of a two than a three anyway, certainly yes. on defense. Yes. And Bazemore is also. And Zach Collins is playing the four. You could argue he's better suited at the five. Uh, you know, the one like true combo guard, they, combo four they have on the roster is Mario Hazonia, who, you know, has bounced around and has not lived up to his draft stock. So Terry Stotts has always done a good, a really good job kind of making something out of nothing with the, some of the defensive parts he's had. But for them to exceed their projections this year is going to require, you know, even more work than in the past, I think. Another guy who got a contract extension in the offseason, Terry Stotts. All right, Kings ninth, uh, Wolves 10th. mentioned the Spurs 11th. You know, you can hash that out. Can I give one quick um, stat about the Spurs? Yep. In the preseason, we've seen teams firing up threes at a rate we've never seen before. The Rockets, for example, are shooting 55 threes a game in six preseason games. The Spurs are shooting 22 threes a game in the preseason, which is five less than any other team. Uh, so they're leaning even farther into the formula that worked for them last year. And True, I, but I think hard they, to yeah, see that working the, again. I think they led or were second in the league in percentage last year. Also point out that um, Team USA went through like uh, – a game and a half where they made like three three pointers in the international game where the there's a shorter three point line. Uh, Pop and the Spurs were second in percentage in the preseason. Also, there you go. But I don't. I right, know so that formula well, is what worked because they they really their starting lineup got outscored and it was their bench with Bertans and Patty Mills that actually generated all the success for them. And now Bertans is gone because they had to give him up in the the Marcus Morris oh, debacle. That was a very interesting scenario. Um, and it, all and right, it took, so it could be a crippling blow to the Spurs too. Well, if 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 you're relying on Dav- Davis Bertans to make the playoffs, you're well, not if they didn't have that. Davis Bertans last year, I think KP would agree they would not have made the playoffs. All right. So All right, we're running out of time here. One last thing I want to talk about: um, you have the Phoenix Suns. The computer has the Phoenix Suns playing uh, finishing ahead of the Pelicans. As the Pelicans finishing in 13th, there's a lot of excitement in New Orleans. Obviously, we've already have a Zion setback. Um, I don't know how you can possibly compute what Zion's going to do. It's very hard to project this team. Pelton, because you there's a couple of young players, rookies, and a whole bunch of new players. But the computer says uh, just 19% chance to make the playoffs, 13th in the Western Conference. Yeah, and the, you know we'll see how long Zion is out, but that obviously hurts them. I mean, I he had the best statistical projection of any college prospect since Anthony Davis. Uh, so you know he his, his absence is a loss for them. For whatever period he's out, and frankly, he was outperforming that projection in the in the preseason with the better floor spacing in the NBA. It was you know one of the intriguing things that I think did give them a chance to exceed these expectations is if he just you know was a dominant force from day one. But it's really less, I would say, a pick against Phoenix or against New Orleans, who is still actually projected for more than their their Vegas over under uh, at Caesar Sportsbook. And more just a vote of confidence in Phoenix, which has a shockingly good projection. And kind of what happened here is they lost so many players who were not NBA rotation caliber with whom the team was badly outscored on the court. And they didn't necessarily replace them with any great players, I don't think you'd say. But guys like Ricky Rubio, Aaron Baines, it just gives them a level of competence at those spots that they haven't had in a long period of time that I think, you know, if... If those guys help Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton translate the the box score success they've had in terms of racking up points and rebounds and assists into you know actually helping the team win or win games, then I think this can be a much more competitive Suns team. All right. Well, I think it's going to be a very competitive West. Um, you know, but you have the Thunder 14th, the Grizzlies 15th. It's very hard to project the Thunder because we don't know who they're going to trade midseason or what have you. Um, 
I think the Grizzlies 15th is probably one of the safest bets you could possibly make. Grizzlies are going to be really fun and probably have the worst record in the league because they're going to have the young guys get beat in by the West every night. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Pelton. The machine has done its work. Thank you, Mr. Bontemps. We thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective, and we will be talking to you very soon. 